what is wrong with Jonah? Is he depressed? Does he have some kind of disorder? God asked him at the beginning of the story to go to Nineveh and, and preach to them. He ran away. There's the storm. We're familiar with that. We heard about that. He ends up in the belly of the fish and says, oh, yeah, I'm going to, okay, I'll go. So God asks him, go to Nineveh again, preach to them. He does. He goes into Nineveh. He preaches to them. They repent. God relents. And then Jonah gets really mad that God was gracious. And then this shrub grows up over Jonah's head to provide him with shade. And actually, for the first time in the book, we find out Jonah is finally happy. This is the only time in the book when he's happy, is this little shade that comes up over his head. Really happy because he's got some shade. Then the shrub withers and is gone, and Jonah is angry enough to die again. What's his problem? Now, we read Jonah chapter 4, especially chapter 4, and we're tempted to diagnose Jonah because we're kind of in that world of we should diagnose problems. But we need to let Jonah be a mirror to us, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Jonah needs to be a mirror for us. Because tell me if you've never felt this way. Things are not going my way. Things seem to go other people's way, but not my way. And as soon as I do the right thing, I end up looking like the fool most of the time. As soon as something goes my way, almost immediately the rug gets pulled out. You know, if there's a God, I don't really like how he lets bad people have success and I'm left out. It's kind of Jonah's story. Now, I can't give you the actual mirror for you for Jonah's story. You've got to find yourself in it. You've got to see yourself in it. But you also need to see God in it. So listen again to Jonah's story. I'm going to tell it maybe slightly differently and stop along the way. So the beginning, Jonah has an idea of where he wants to go, what he wants in life. He wants to go to Tarshish. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He wants to go to Tarshish. It's exotic. It's on the edge of the world. We compared it maybe to going to Las Vegas as opposed to going and doing something you know, good with your life. Let's just go and live it up. Um, that's kind of the idea. He wants to go and do that. God tells him to go to Nineveh, which is actually one of the great cities that is full of Israel's enemies. Okay, Israel and Nineveh were basically enemies in the time of Jonah. So Jonah doesn't listen to God other than the go part. He still goes. He just goes on a boat going to Tarshish. And the storm hits him. He's swallowed by a great fish. And Jonah prays in the belly of the fish. And in that prayer, he thanks God and he praises God for God's salvation. And he swears to God, that he will do what God asks him to do this time. And he does do what God asks him to do. He goes to Nineveh. He walks to the middle of the city, and he proclaims what God sent him to say. Forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown or overturned. And the Ninevites repent. And it's wide scale. Whole city. The king proclaims that even the animals are going to fast. It's supposed to be funny. None of you laughed when I read it. But it's actually supposed to be funny. Like, how ridiculous is this? 
the king proclaims, nobody have any food, nobody have any water. I mean, they would all be dead if they actually did. Like, right? Nobody have any food, nobody have any water. And even the animals, we're going to put sackcloth even on the animals, and they are also going to... Oh, what do the animals do? Poor animals. <laughs> it's supposed to be funny. And we find at the end this uh, image of God saying... He cares about the Ninevites who don't know their right hand from their left. That means people who don't really know what's going on. They, it's, it's funny. The Ninevites have no idea what they're doing, really. What, what they do know is that they're trying anything they can to avoid destruction at the last minute. Have we heard about this? You know, people who kind of, on their death, deathbed conversion, you know, like, oh... Don't want to go in the wrong, to the wrong place, so. And we don't buy those, right? Like, that's, that's not really the way it's supposed to be. But what does God do with the Ninevites who don't really know what they're doing with this repentance? Just like, oh, emergency, let's just put sackcloth on the animals and maybe, maybe it'll do something. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand who God is, not the way Jonah does. What does God do with them? He changes his mind. And he lets everyone live. The enemies of Israel, everybody gets to live. Jonah went in there and said, Nineveh will be overturned in 40 days. He doesn't tell them what to do. He just says, that's it. And actually, Nineveh is overturned, but it's not the kind of overturned that Jonah thought he meant, right? The city is overturned in the sense of being overturned to God. Even though they don't really know what that is. Not like Jonah knows anyway, or thinks he knows. And Jonah gets really angry. So he says, I said this was, would happen at the very beginning, back when I was at home. And actually, if we go back and read chapter 1, you find out he actually didn't say that at all. We have no record of him saying anything along those lines. And maybe it was just left out. Um, but, but I don't know. Th- maybe this is like when we say, I knew that would happen. When, in fact, none of our actions indicate that we had any clue whatsoever. Have you ever done that? Oh, yeah, I knew that would happen. Well, then why didn't you do something about it? Why didn't you act differently then? I mean, Jonah might say, well, I tried to act differently. But I think it's kind of like that. I knew it. I knew this would happen, and I'm mad about it. He just wants to complain. Does Jonah sound like us when things have not gone the way we want? He sounds like he's just sulking. And I think he's meant to sound that way. I knew this would happen. And this is why I tried to go to Tarshish in the first place. Because, God, I know you're gracious and merciful. You're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, like everybody says, and that you would just relent from punishing these terrible people who deserve punishment. And I went in there, and I told them that they would be overturned, and now you just change your mind? Kill me now, God. Kill me now. I'm sick of life. It's totally humiliating. Even after I did the right thing and walked in and proclaimed your message, I look like a fool. Because the awful people of Nineveh aren't going to get what they really deserve. I'm just here like a fool when I could be in Tarshish right now having a great time. Just let me die. And God is cool. God just says, is it really right for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer that. He leaves town. And he makes a booth or a little tent for himself. I don't know out of what. Finds a few things, maybe. Now, think, I think this is important. Jonah leaving town. Jonah isolates himself. 
He doesn't talk to any Ninevites. He doesn't see, hey, maybe now that I know, as the prophet, that God is going to relent, that maybe I should tell some people. He doesn't maybe look around for a party that he could join, because wouldn't everybody kind of have a party if they found out, hey, the repenting worked. He just leaves to be on his own and sulk. Life did not go the way he wanted, so he's pouting. Does he have some kind of disorder? Well, I don't know. I don't know if he does. Everyone else is winning, and he feels like he's losing. What he can't do is he can't bring himself to join a party if it's going on, because if there is a party going on, it doesn't really seem very fair to him. Now, I don't know if you ever feel this way. Maybe you do. I know uh, congregations, and I know pastors that feel this way, that's for sure. We might see the growing church down the street, and instead of thinking, wow, awesome what God is doing there. Isn't that great? Instead, we resent them when we feel foolish. And we isolate ourselves. I know believers can feel this way. Things are going sideways in life, and they feel less connected to God. And rather than celebrating that others in their congregation seem to be really enjoying church life and seem to really be connecting with God, seem to be singing to his praise and genuinely seem happy in their walk with God, instead, because that's not their story, they feel foolish, isolate themselves, get angry, might become self-righteous, and maybe feel, every time I see those happy Christians, I just want to die. Metaphorically, of course, right? This shows up in Jesus' story of the prodigal son, where the younger son squanders in his, his inheritance. Right? He goes off and he parties, the wrong kind of partying. And he realizes, oh, I've got to go back. I'm at the bottom of the barrel here. I've got to go back to my father and confess, and maybe he'll let me be one of his servants or something. And he does go back, and the father just accepts him, no questions asked. And what does the father do? He throws a massive party for his boss son who's returned. Well, the end of that story, which sometimes we forget about, is actually about the older son who's always been faithful to the father and didn't go off and squander everything. And the older son resents the younger one. And he refuses to join the party that's being thrown for his son who's back. I've always done the right thing, and now I look like a fool. You mean all I needed to do to get the party and the, and the welcome and the big display of affection from you is all I needed to do was go off and live a wild life and come back? This is a lousy deal. He refuses to join the party. He can't embrace the idea of the lost one being found. He's angry about a merciful father because he's just been trying to do the right thing all the time. See, the thing is, a merciful father is not actually fair. He's too gracious to those who don't really deserve it. And we don't like that if we think we deserve it. Now, Jonah's story doesn't end with his isolation, though, right? There's a really weird part of this story, and that's how it ends. It's hot. 
and God makes a shrub grow up overnight, and it protects Jonah from the sun. And Jonah is suddenly really happy, which seems weird on its own, because he hasn't been happy yet. But think about it. He's sitting there, okay, maybe things are not so bad. I built a tent for myself, and I maybe got this much shade, but now there's this nice shrub, and yeah, okay, I'm still really mad about Nineveh, but I'll be okay. Because you know what? A little comfort can go a long way sometimes. Here's what we need, right? Just a little distraction, just a little respite from the discomfort. Just a little thing like this can go a long way. We need to put it in our own terms. I'm angry, I'm disconnected, I don't like what I see in the world, or I don't even see, like what I see in my church anymore right now, and maybe I'm mad at God, so what I really need is some Netflix and a glass of wine. <laughs> or what I really need is an all-inclusive resort vacation. Or what I really need is a day at the spa. What I really need is to just relax here under the shade of this tree, said Jonah to himself. Oh, finally I can be happy, because I have this nice shade. There, that's better. Everything will be okay now, he says to himself. And then, bang, God appoints a worm and the shrub withers. There's a hurricane in the Caribbean. Your flight to Jamaica is canceled. Sorry. The spa went bankrupt, and they closed on the day of your appointment. Sorry about that. The internet is down, and the wine that your friend recommended that you bought, it actually tastes terrible. You've got to be kidding me, Jonah says. That's it. Kill me now, he says. Should we diagnose Jonah, or should we see ourselves in the mirror? Now we need to see God as well. God is so calm with Jonah throughout this whole story, calm and in control. What does he say when, jo when the bush withers and, and, uh, and Jonah gets all upset again, I'm angry enough to die, uh, God says to him, is it really right for you to be angry about the bush? And Jonah says what we all want to say in those times when we are at the end of our rope, when we can't see clearly, when we have our blinders on to the bigger picture, Jonah says, yes, it's right for me to be angry, angry enough to die, he says. He just stays there, doesn't he? There are times when we want to say that. And God says to him, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night. It perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? And also many animals. God gets the joke. And that's the end of the book of Jonah, that question from God. I, I think you felt it when we read it, and I said at the end of the reading, the word of the Lord. I think some of you are thinking, what? Where's the rest of the story? That's how Jonah ends. And something about God in the book of Jonah, throughout the book of Jonah, God is bent on salvation, on mercy, and on grace. He saves people all over the place in Jonah. He saves the sailors on the boat. He saves Jonah once he's hurled into the sea. And at the end, he saves Nineveh. 
What is Jonah bent on? Not God's program. The symbol of Jonah sitting on his own outside the city depicts well what Jonah's focus is and where it leads. He's on his own, on the outside, and it's his own doing. The book ends with God giving this question to to Jonah. You're concerned about a shrub, and should I not be concerned about 120,000 people and their animals too? In our mirror, we need to hear God asking us this question. What are you concerned about? What might you be angry with God about? And then try to think, well, what is God really up to? Because it probably has nothing to do with what I'm angry about. Right? The, the, the shrub has no connection whatsoever to the salvation that God's doing. God's on a totally different scale, isn't he? And we're worried about the little things. If, like Jonah, this is bound up for you with serving God, it can actually become more difficult. Because you're generally not choosing between, am I going to serve God or watch Netflix? Okay? You're serving God, and in the middle of that serving, you actually really want to go to Tarshish you may experience the same kinds of things of Jonah. Disconnected. Not feeling it anymore. Not really wanting to see the bigger picture. You may see yourself sitting under the shrub in the shade and how easy it would be to get mad when the shrub withers. But the thing is, I, like I said before, I can't answer this for you. Only you can see yourself in the mirror that's in Jonah. I will give you an illustration from my own life, which is focus perhaps a little too much on church. Um, But when you engage with Jonah, you have to engage your imagination as well. This is the power you need to be able to see God at work. As you listen, you've got to find your own story and try to see what God might be doing in the midst of your own story. So so here's the, the illustration I want to give you. Some of you have heard bits of this before. When I was a teenager, I was having trouble with the church that I attended. Um, My main concern was I thought it was boring. And I would look around at everyone else, and it looked like they thought it was boring too, which puzzled me. I'd get to church, and we would sing every single week, holy, holy, holy. I don't know if anybody went to church where you sang holy, holy, holy every week. And we'd sing it the same way every week. Some people sounded like they were about to pass out. It droned. Wow, I'm glad I'm here. And so I looked around and I made some assumptions about what I saw and experienced in church. My main assumption was I assumed most people were there out of duty and obligation. I thought people should be there to worship God. there because they love God and want to experience God. And so what I did was I explored leaving my Presbyterian church to go to a livelier one where people really worshiped God. I went to a friend's church, and, well, it was a a bit too lively for me. Um, (laughs) I I, I didn't enjoy the worship service, and they gave me the option of going to Sunday school because they had the Sunday school up to grade 12 in the middle of the service, so I thankfully took that olive branch. 
And the lesson that day was how to drive out Satan from your friends if they're possessed. And so um, that church was not for me. I haven't yet needed to use that lesson, actually. So in, it's been a long time. I went back to my boring church after that. And, uh, but something happened at my, con- my congregation. God gave me a gift in the form of an older lady named Nancy Bell Arnold. And some of you might know her, actually. Um, she was always smiling. As she was one of the elders. And one day, she actually talked to me. I was pretty shy back then, actually. And I, and I found out that she, too, had been nervous to talk to me. And uh, it occurred to me over time that the people of my congregation loved me, and so I stayed there in the boring congregation. Now, my first assumption, like I said, was that people were there out of duty or obligation. My second assumption was that that was a bad thing. These people were obligated to God, to each other to the heritage of faith passed down from other people of faith who came before them. They did feel obligated to that, I think. And I had been acting as though I was obligated to absolutely no one other than myself. Why is everyone around me acting like this is all so boring? The subtext of this is that I believed that I had it right and everybody else had it wrong. I was encouraged to try another church with these words. If you're not getting fed where you are, then you need to go somewhere else where you will be fed. This was bad advice. Because I was being fed, I just couldn't see it because I had no imagination to see it. I lacked imagination to see what God was doing and who he was working in and through. I assumed that I could judge people's relationship with God by how they appeared to be worshiping him, by looking at them. How arrogant of me. Then I assumed that a group of people obligated to one another was somehow bad. Except I think that God sees that as quite beautiful. The people of that congregation were duty-bound to God and to each other. But shouldn't they also feel it? Because they didn't seem like they felt it. And I actually think that they should, but let's get a couple of things straight. I had another problem. One of my problems was that there was a they rather than a we. I was not saying, well, we really need to start showing how we feel about God, everybody. I was accusing them on the inside. I didn't tell anybody this, right? I was accusing them of not showing how they felt about God, them not doing it. Uh, Interestingly, when I worshipped, I don't think I was really singing holy, holy, holy any better than anybody else. Wouldn't want to stick out. It might be helpful to think of a marriage when we think of our relationship with Christ. The Bible actually gives us that image, doesn't it? The bride of Christ. It's an image for the church. When a couple starts out, they're giddy. They are in love, and people know it. And that fades, right? But what about in the best relationships? Does it fade? 
What about those 50th wedding anniversaries that you attend? What do people say? Did they say this? Did they say, oh, I remember when these two were so in love. Now they've managed to get through 50 years. They are so obligated to each other. Is that what they say? Here's to another 50 years of the relationship progressively going stale and you two just powering through. Is that what they say at 50th anniversaries? But on the other side of things, do we expect that the couple married 50, 50 years are going to be behaving the same way they did when they were first married? I really hope not. Do we call their changed behavior something less than love? During uh, the long marriage, there are periods where the couple don't feel it, right? The, where they fight or where they uh, may even question, oh, did I make a terrible mistake here? In the, in the best relationships, it's not a sustained feeling of love accompanied by public displays of affection that carry them through the difficult times, is it? It's that they have promised, they have made obligation to one another. They are duty-bound to each other. They are obligated to each other. They've made promises to stay together. And in the best relationships, they don't disengage from one another because they are duty-bound to re-engage. With other things, we would say that's hypocritical. If you've lost the spark, then don't go on pretending. Say, if they've lost the spark and they're only staying in their marriage because they're obligated to their vows, why bother? Now, actually, there are people who feel this way about marriage, but I hope you see how ridiculous that is. We make vows for the very first time for those times when feelings are letting us down. I just don't feel it anymore. That's not a reason to disengage. Actually, that's a really good reason to re-engage, to renew. In a marriage, re-engaging or renewing, it takes time, it takes prayer, it takes imagination and vision, doesn't it, to see what might be possible again. It may even take outside help, form of counseling. But you see, the bedrock of the relationship means that all this work is worth it. See, I thought obligation was a problem in my church, and it looked like boredom. It was actually a strength. Obligation was a strength in the church, and it was a strength that I was lacking. I couldn't see God's people as God could see them. Now, that's what I think of when I think of Jonah's story. Where was my vision lacking to see what God sees? Where am I so focused on my own concerns, so focused on what I want that I'm missing the bigger picture? What is causing me to disengage, to pitch my tent on the outside and sulk instead of staying inside and joining the fasting and praying? And hopefully afterwards, partying. <laughs> 